0: Welcome to episode one of Ground Story Round the Block, an occasional podcast uncovering untold effects of gentrification on the arts here at home in Canada and around the world. My name is Jessa Aguilo. Marking the 20th National Housing Day in Canada, plus the 10th anniversary of one of Toronto's largest providers of affordable shared studios for artists, our guests today are Oliver Pauk and Michael Vickers of Akin Collective. Ground Story Around the Block is made possible through generous support of Canada Council for the Arts and Ontario Trillium Foundation. For more information about this podcast, please visit us at groundstory.ca. To learn more about our guests, please visit akincollective.com. Well, Oliver, I'm wondering if we might start with you. If you could provide a little bit of background on the ground story of Akin Collective.
1: So I started. I started Akin originally uh, with a friend of ours who's, who's uh, now the uh, president of our our board for our nonprofit, named Michael Delios, and um, we we needed space to work. We um, we were looking around online and and in real life, trying to find space, and, and it was, um, it was either way too expensive or not a space conducive to sort of creative work. And um, Mike had been living in a, a loft space at Queen and Dufferin, roughly, and it was the. Um, the aristocrat lofts uh, near the Drake Hotel and they're now a, a condo building there. Um, but we, basically he was moving out so we decided to turn his small loft into a workspace for about eight or ten of us, just sort of friends and, and colleagues and um, it was just meant as a, as a solution for for ourselves and um, before too long, within the, the first sort of few months it became clear that Okay, there were other people who were in the same situation friends of friends and and that kind of thing who were getting in touch with us and and similarly were looking for space couldn't afford anything that was that was available uh to them and um so after i think just three months we moved from this small loft of about 500 square feet to a, a two thousand square foot space um, on dufferin just north of queen and um we actually were finally evicted from that space this year uh in fe- at the end of February I believe. Um and there's now a big hole in the ground there for a yes. condo. Mm-hmm. Uh and and then really over over the past uh roughly ten years since then we've we've just sort of grown organically as as there's been um kind of a list of people who would like to have space we we keep looking for for suitable spaces around the city and um, try to accommodate those people. So we we always feel a little bit anxious about having a waiting list because it means that people are unable to work to their full capacity and and to, to sort of have full uh, potential with their with their creative creative endeavor. So for us, that really spurs us to keep going and and find find spaces. and so, we're often um, we're often kind of transforming what have been sort of former warehouse or factory spaces, re- recently a, a butcher shop, and turning these spaces into um, into suitable work um, a work environment for, for people. Um, so I mean that give, kind of gives gives a little bit of an idea. Um, just as like one kind of summary of of space, we now have um, we now have eight locations around the city. With uh, close to 300 members who, who work out of those out of those uh, different locations, um, and we're constantly trying to secure more space and kind of in- increase what we do, but also improve it. Just figure out better ways that we can uh, serve the people who are who are working in those studios. Yeah. Uh, so for us, it's a constant learning process, and and it makes it super
0: exciting. Um, so you've been there since the beginning, correct Oliver yeah. and Michael? You came into yeah. KIN a little bit later?
2: Yeah, it's, um, at about the exact same time that Mike Delios, our friend, uh, wanted to move on. Uh, I had moved to the city uh, and was interested in getting involved. So I've been involved now for a little over eight years, um, when we still just had the one space on Dutton. Um, and I got involved uh, as an artist that needed space, like I had just moved here from New York uh needed a place to work a friend of ours uh sorry delmar who worked for an organization called audio blood um over like a facebook uh comment sort of suggested oh you should check out this small studio akin i got involved and then it kind of just uh snowballed from there pretty quickly um yeah it's pretty crazy still to kind of imagine going from that one space to, as Oliver said, you know, eight locations with 19 units, like 30,000 square feet of space. Like it's, uh, I don't think either of us, like, you know, we're ambitious, but I don't think we're expecting it to kind of grow this much this quickly. Um, and, and a big part of it too, I think is when it started, it was, um, a space for, for community, but also now doing so much programming that we do. So we'll do between 60 to 70 events a year, supporting the arts community so free or super low cost programming that's um, you know professional development for artists how to do your taxes how to do grant writing that sort of thing Um, fun stuff like uh, you know uh, intro to ceramics or illustration 101 you know we'll do a holiday card making party like all of the fun stuff and then more and more like community outreach so working also with groups that would like to do more art but maybe don't have any artists and with the, the group of people that we have now, we have somebody for just about anything. So working with groups like CAMH, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, um, you know, doing programs with their um, early onset psychosis uh, clients or their youth addiction program. So yeah, it's kind of evolved as Oliver said though, very organically and now we're just trying to kind of move that snowball in the right direction. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's very exciting to kind of now be, yeah, I think, As co-directors, we're always trying to kind of make sure that, yeah, it is rolling in the right way and looking at what's come before and how to kind of do better.
0: The community seems, using your word snowballing, the the situation that artists and other, uh, well, basically everyone is faced with in terms of affordable housing, accessible workspaces, um, there's the, the, the challenge is really snowballing in the last few years. Yeah. It's the 20th uh, year of National Housing Day in Canada when they suggested that it was a, a housing crisis 20 years ago. It feels like it's so much worse than it was 20 years ago. Um, and we also have now not I think not just housing as a challenge, but workspaces. So what does and the word that some people are using to kind of capture this and the displacement that's going under that, mm-hmm. with the increases in rent, the, the lack of affordability that people are being displaced. And so the word that some people are using is gentrification. Uh, to capture all of the all of the things that are happening in the community, from increased income polarization, increased precarity, both socially and economically, the displacement of of, of vulnerable communities from their original communities by people of more um, financial wealth. But what does gentrification actually mean to you, and how do you? How do you think you've tried to respond to this challenge up until this point?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, when I think of the word gentrification, it, it immediately, uh, I, my mind immediately goes to the artist's role as, I think the appropriate word would be as a catalyst in the gentrification process. Um, so often, when when that kind of mechanism is is unfolding, we we see artists having moved to an area that's that's more affordable um, to to live and work in, and then you see them doing cool things, making making the area um, more appealing, and then gradually, I mean, we know we know the, the process basically, but the rents go up and it becomes less and less feasible for those people to actually stay in that area that they've kind of helped um uh you know incubate or kind of uh build this community in. um not to say that there hasn't been a community there already but yeah artists artists definitely have a a very specific role in, in how that has happened um so that's that's kind of where what I'm what I'm thinking
2: of. Yeah. When I
0: Michael, do you have anything to add? To yeah. What mean, gentrification means to you? And
2: um, I mean, I think it is interesting because that is sort of the classic story: is artists move into an area, make it cool, and then price themselves out. And I think it is interesting to kind of think about that and how um, you know also thinking about who was there before, like which traditionally marginalized groups actually you know like there's a little bit before, you know prior to artists moving into that story too and like how does that all piece together you know it doesn't just go from industrial to suddenly artist friendly to suddenly cool and you know like there, uh, you know who else uh is in that that area first and how do you keep them involved and how does it all kind of piece together i think it's i mean i think that is the traditional story i think it's much more kind of complicated than that and also then thinking about the next iteration how can you be more uh, i guess i'm always trying to think how can you be a bit more proactive than sort of reactive to things like that and i think that's definitely you know we can speak more about how we kind of wrap our heads around that um yeah gentrification is is uh, a very like super negative word um it is which is you know and it's a very ugly word and you're like oh gosh nobody would want to be associated with gentrification but it's a pretty complicated sort of word to unpack i still have negative associations with it too but yeah kind of we're always very critical of you know what is our role in in city building and and how does that sort of unfold?
0: Um, How has your community been impacted by gentrification as you kind of understand that? yes.
2: well, I mean, I guess most recently we've had, uh, you know, major evictions where we had to move about 100 artists out of the first location at Queen and Dufferin um, and then also the building that we're in right now. Um, So we were faced with, you know, 100 artists sort of looking to us for where to move next and so there's a ton of I mean responsibility that we have too right (laughs) yeah I was going to say like yeah a huge amount of our stress is um because we care about the community and so it's also that responsibility of like we have to find these 100 people a place we also know that in one of our studios we're gonna have to leave next June we're already very much thinking you know we have to create a roadmap for that I mean I think part of can uh, strength is that it's migratory nature but what we'd like to get better at doing though is planning that out so even if we do have to keep moving it's okay well you'll move here for two years and I know it sucks that you'll have to move but we'll move you to this place across the street for another five and kind of planning that out um, yeah. on, a, on a personal level I would just add too that like I'm constantly afraid of you know losing my apartment as well I have a sweet deal on an apartment in an area that's very quickly changing I you know every time I get an email from my landlord, I'm wondering is this the one where she says that her son is moving in and you know and that they're going to try and give me the boot and obviously it's more complicated than that but on a very personal level I you know it's not healthy either for it's the stress that comes with all of that right
0: like so how do you manage that stress like as an organization how have you how have you structured therapy
2: and, and beer
0: yeah
2: <laughs> no like oh, how no. have you structured
0: yeah. the organization yeah. to manage that. Constant change.
1: Well, a, a, a huge, a huge factor and a saving grace for us has been having having amazing colleagues who work with us. Uh, each of our eight locations has has an artist who um, who has their art practice there, but they also help with managing the studios and and really take the take the main responsibility in that. So they're working with our members on a day to day basis. If we have availabilities, they would be giving tours to people, making sure that the studio's stay full and the, and the things are running smoothly uh, so that really has freed yeah. us we used to do all of that ourselves oh, until okay. a couple of years ago and and now that's freed us up to be doing the work that Michael was describing basically like perpetually looking for more space so that when we get evicted from one place we have a home um, so that's that's been the main yeah. the main change that has allowed us to sort of be doing
2: yeah, I think we're very fortunate that everyone that works at Akin, including both of us, are practicing artists. Um, so uh, we understand the sort of the realities of it and the difficulties, and know what it's like to apply for grants and not get them, and know what it's like to have to spend money on materials and the cost of rent. And I think that definitely we're very fortunate in that regard that we can kind of put ourselves in our members' shoes because we were wearing those same shoes a lot of the time. And And we're we're getting getting evicted too. Yeah. As is our staff. Yeah.
1: We got evicted from our studio, which sort of doubled as a kin's office uh, earlier this year. Um, And a couple of our staff members were evicted along with members who, who... from the two buildings that Michael yeah. mentioned. Yeah.
2: I mean we've become very attached to the homes that we create for artists as well, you know. It was very emotional to lose the Queen and Dufferin studio because you know, we have 10 years of like history there, but also, you know, the building that we're in right now, it's a matter of time until we get the boot from here as well and you probably know, probably less than a year. It's yeah. Easy. It's funny. I mean, bracing yourself or readying yourself for a move doesn't mean that it's not going to be it fun <laughs> you know, I mean, it lessens it but you know <laughs> one,
1: one thing that's uh, we have felt very fortunate to be able to to do is it, in all instances of, of evictions within um, like a, of a kin from, from the village we're in we have found homes for all those people um, or at least had a had a space to offer to, to every single yeah. person um, which there were times in that process where we weren't sure if we were going to be able to achieve that and say that but um, yeah fortunately we we found, we found space <laughs> in, the, in the nick of time sometimes but
0: So what is your relationship with the city and with developers, other not-for-profits? Uh, you have a not-for-profit how does your not-for-profit figure into the spacing or is it is it independent is, a, is it a for-profit entity that like how are you uh, structuring it currently?
2: Hmm. Do you
0: think that might change in the future? I can, see, I can yeah. see it changing
1: yeah we're uh, we're we currently have um, we were originally uh, just working as a for-profit organization and we started doing a ton of programming um, as Michael mentioned about 50 60 events per year and in order to apply for a lot of the project grants for for those programmed events it, it made the most sense or, or in many cases we had to be a non nonprofit so mm-hmm. we decided to start a non nonprofit um, that would, that would be doing our, our programming, um, in the, in the past couple of year or sort of year and a half, our nonprofit has actually opened some studio locations as well. Um, and it was, it was, um, in an effort to sort of be able to sustain the programming mm-hmm. without as much reliance on government funding. Yeah. Um, because we, we were, aware of this, the sort of vulnerability that can come with government funding, you know, if there is a change in government, and mm-hmm. if you don't get the grant that you apply for, right? Um, so, uh, so now, confusingly, we have a for-profit that just does studio rentals, and mm-hmm. a non-profit that does programming and sub-studio rentals as well. Things things may change whereby we, we may end up uh, kind of reducing the studio rental involvement for a non-profit just Going back to focusing on the programming exclusively, potentially a charitable application, mm-hmm. um, and see if we can make that work. Um, so this is timely as we're we're sort mm-hmm. of working on this mm-hmm. at the moment.
2: Um, yeah, yeah, it's so complicated. Kind of it's complicated. Like we were speaking yesterday with you know a lot of uh, other people that are either interested in becoming studio providers or are currently, and you know it was quite clear that people were wondering what the right path is. Yeah. should you become a non-profit should you stay for profit okay. you know are you a social enterprise like how does that work i think there's no right answer but i think for so long now though we've have you know agreed that relying completely on government support is just a bad idea mm-hmm. and, you know and i think you can name 100 different stories even in, even though i've only lived in toronto for yeah like 8-9 years now you know you see so many organizations come and go because of that I and mean, especially like we're going through a big change in government right now and like the, you can already see the impact that's having absolutely um,
1: and one thing that I think is worth adding is that your organizational structure has to make sense for the individuals involved yeah. it really does and I think often people are just looking at the money side of it and I think that's that can be dangerous because it can kind of lead you down a path that mm-hmm. may not be the right thing for the actual people to the work
2: yeah. And I think the reality with a lot of the decisions that we make is it is a very quick sort of decision because it has to be like these are often time sensitive things. So for us being able to be nimble and fast and sort of um, jump on opportunities, um, if you have to go through eight different levels of sort of red tape to get certain things approved, like, it, it, you know, the real estate market is growing and changing and so quickly that you have to kind of be able to act fast. So. I think even if you become a bureaucratic you know nonprofit with many levels of government you've got to make sure that it's one that can like uh, shift and and jump on things quickly because it'll just pass and somebody else will quite happily get it yeah Um, and to answer
1: uh, or to speak to what you what you sort of asked about kind of our our relationships with um, with property owners that sort of thing Mm -hmm. um, I can give a bit of a, a an explanation there so um, one one sort of main focus that that we've sort of developed and it's it's happened organically but it's clear to us that it makes a lot of sense is um, what we and, and others are, are uh, calling meanwhile leasing and so typically what that looks like is uh, say a property owner has a has a site maybe there's an old warehouse on that on that site uh, they plan on building townhomes or a condo or, or some some new building and um, often in many many cases those buildings would just sit empty um, mm-hmm. doors closed lights off for the the process for, for developers often can take two three four five years even um, and, and I mean there are examples of, of longer than that too and um, so that's sort of a we we've seen that as an opportunity you know that it's going to be developed. Like the gentrification is happening, regardless of what anyone does. The the owner owns the property, and they in almost all cases get sort of at least a variation or a version of, of the uh, of the sort of structure that they want to build. They get those approvals and, and permits, and um, yeah. As it, as I said, it takes a long time. So. For a geographic community, they're basically looking at this shuttered building for many years, um, and so what we've what we've done in a number of cases now with with um, our the studios we've opened in the past couple of years is we'll work with those property owners and. and so often we have to sort of explain to them and get yeah, them what's on the, board. What, what is the yeah.
0: conversation like when um, you well, first I, approach them? I so. mean,
1: initially the, the conversations were a little bit more difficult, but now we're often having property owners actually come to us and they they see the benefit with us having to sort of convince yeah. them, which is yeah. really reassuring um, because they they kind of get it and they, they understand there are multiple wins that, that occur when this take play, takes place. So... We'll come in and, and normally they, they won't charge us uh, anywhere close to market rent. They'll say, okay, our property taxes and utilities. So we'll we'll take care of that. It means that they're not out of pocket for those years that the building is, is shut for, um, or would otherwise have been shut for. And then it's a win for artists to have a space to work in as an organization. It means that we can continue developing and, and serving our mandate, or, you know, pursuing our mandate. And for the geographic community, it means that there's this cool artistic cultural organization and, and facility in the middle of, of their neighborhood and so they can go attend events, go see what the artists are up to, um, and kind of engage with with that with that space and the people working in that space instead of just looking at a
2: at a, a boarded up building for years. Um, one one thing I would sort of add to that is in that sort of story what you picture then though is a you know a warehouse out in the middle of the nowhere or a shuttered storefront um, but increasingly it's spaces that are in very desirable locations that are very very nice that are right downtown I mean I think we recently opened a space at King and Spadina um, and I think for a lot of people they would see that and go how the heck can you afford something at King and Spadina and I think the, the beautiful thing with meanwhile leasing and sort of this interim use of property is that um you know that condos are only going to continue to be built and so sort of working with that inevitability and 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 also being able to do so right downtown uh, the space at king and spadina we know that it we're going to have to leave there next year um, but we can make use of a space that would normally cost a fortune um but sort of yeah put it to good use uh, we were both as part of a, an advisory group for something called TO Core, so looking at Toronto's downtown core over the next 50 years, because, yeah, especially when we're talking about, you know, housing week, and it's been 20 years, I mean, hey, not that much has changed, and, and how much will change in the next 20 years? But really terrifying that you had to think 50 years ahead. It's like, where do you possibly, yeah, envision artists functioning in the downtown core in 50 years? And, you know, and I mean, a big problem with the city's uh, sort of efforts in this regard i think is that they don't necessarily if you don't know what's there there's no way that you can protect it and so that's something that we're really trying to advocate for is you know that's better mapping so that we you know if you look at a map of toronto and you say okay well there's the rom and there's the ago uh, and there's the sony center for the performing arts that's it you know it's like oh my gosh you know there's much more than just tiff going on downtown for the arts and culture um yeah, so I think that through meanwhile leasing we're kind of encouraging everyone to sort of look at that as an, an option. Um, yeah. And and it's worth mentioning that the spaces that, that
1: Michael referred to at Cain's is where we moved all of the members from the mm-hmm. spaces that we got evicted from earlier this year okay. So that was sort of our our saving grace that we could we could kind of open up to people and it's it's a beautiful uh, former office space but like an, a hundred year old loft building with like similarly to this like tall ceilings and post and theme structure and um, yeah, yeah we are happy to
2: meet that to your point about uh, with developers though because that has come up before you know sort of like well how do you meet these developers that are willing to give you cheap you know property and I think there is still a huge part of it is you know educating uh, individuals and organizations and businesses on, on that and, and you know sort of Explaining to them a little bit, or hand-holding through all of those different winds, and some people sort of get it right away. Some, some don't necessarily. But I think that's the hugest thing: is sort of um, the need to educate people uh, a little bit, or just sort of, you know, change change the way that we view how cities sort of grow in that way. Um, yeah.
1: yeah, and you're very right
2: that that um, in
1: order to in order to preserve. Arts and culture in in the the central area of a city, there needs to be identification of okay, where is this actually happening? Like, what what are the where are the studios? Where are the galleries? Whether they're large or small, need to be sort of uh, need to be noticeable or or identified digitally. And, and when we were involved in the TOCOR um, sort of advisory group, there there is already a map for the music industry that lists every recording studio, every venue, every sort of PR marketing company, management firm, um, and then similarly for film, these are the production houses, these are studios, these are typical sort of filming location, and then there was just nothing for visual arts, and I think Probably the reason for that is is that there's so much more money behind those other two industries that they can advocate. They can have people paid to, to mm-hmm. do that work and, and to, to hire consultants uh, to to put together entirely like, mapping uh, mapping systems uh, to be able to, to to have that recognized. And then also, it obviously has to be updated on a regular basis too, um, yeah. as as things change and as organizations that people move around so um, it's something that we're we're interested in playing a role in. we don't exactly know what that will be but mm-hmm. we're, we've kind of been doing it just for ourselves using Google Maps at this point and, and are hoping um, to probably end up partnering with some other organizations who have you know similar interest yeah. in in realizing that or, or in having having it be recognized that this is very valuable Information to have at the at the policy
0: making
2: level. Yeah. And I think uh, to jump just back to the education point, uh, sort of one thing I just sim- sim- simply sort of meant with that is just, you know, quite often we, you know, we'll meet with a developer and, you know, the conversation will be going well and we'll be talking about things. And obviously then it, for us, because our profit margin is so slim, because we're really trying to provide the most affordable space we can, it comes down to like how much our rent will be and, you know, Quite often, it ends up being the developers sort of saying, Well, I think you should just start charging your artists more then. And so that you can pay me more. So you can pay me more. Because yeah. no, no. we'll sort of say, Actually, we can only manage this much in rent. And they'll say, Well, you know, just double the rent it's for your artists. Yeah. I mean, you know, and it's kind of then Oliver and I just looking at each other, being like, Okay, well, I guess this is not going to go anywhere, you know? And it's, yeah. yeah.
1: I, I mean, yeah, I think people working outside of, the arts don't necessarily realize the precarity yeah. with which so many artists live. Yeah, okay. I mean, we recently completed a demographic um, research on our on our community, and more than half of our members are living below the poverty line. Uh, mm-hmm. So that that's not surprising. No, it's <laughs> none, but, but, but but
0: for th- us in the arts community, that's not surprising. No. Yeah, outside, perhaps that yeah. yeah. Could be.
1: And then when you're when it's suggested to you to raise your prices by forty percent, you know it's just, it can't yeah. it can happen.
2: We, we visited a space the other day in Liberty Village and uh, we were offered an incredibly good deal on rent there. Undoubtedly, you know. Well below market rent. Significantly below market rent for a space in Liberty Village, which is all. When you think of gentrification, Liberty Village is a pretty good picture of that. Um, yeah, but we couldn't quite get through to them that, you know, like that was still well above and beyond what we could manage for rent to be able to keep doing, you know, what we do. And, and that's again sort of going back to this idea of us managing a snowball. Um, you know, you you could pick the path where you just say, okay, what the heck? Let's change our rent prices, and then but then you know it kind of defeats the entire purpose of what we're doing. Yeah.
1: having having said that, the same the same company was able to offer us these very low rents that we have at King's. Yeah, and I know. so the, it made sense in that instance because it was such a short term. We just had about a yeah. and half there, um, whereas it was a bit longer in the Ring Village, but. Yeah, basically, there there can often be this sort of disconnect as far as, as far as like what is needed from the property owner yeah. versus what we need
2: in order to continue doing what we're doing the way that we yeah. do it as opposed to blowing it up. And yeah. The the prices, right? I mean, sorry, I feel like we're rambling a little bit now too, but I mean, I think originally you sort of mentioned too, like the city and so you know, it's like there's so much property is owned by the city. Like in the billions, uh, I've heard some people say $4 billion worth of property. I've heard other people say 14 or 15 But like so much city-owned property is just sitting there totally uh, unused. And I think that's one of the greatest tragedies. And I think mm-hmm. that's also perhaps why we're much more like entrepreneurial about it with working with developers is because it can be so impossible to access that um, below market rate sort of property with the city whereas you can meet with a developer and things can move much more quickly but I think that's like a real travesty frankly yeah, uh, on the city level that there's just so much space sitting there doing nothing that could be put to good use. Yeah. yeah. From the housing or the, or the yeah. space side as well. Even if it is just for a few years like I think um
0: So shall we shift gears a little bit? Sure. Um, So in the beginning with our definition of gentrification, we talked about the kind of the standard narrative that's out there, not just in the arts community, but Mm -hmm. as artists as the leading edge of gentrification and displacement in vulnerable communities. Do you buy into that story and how you think of yourselves? Um, Do you think you are gentrifiers from that point of view? And if so, what do you think? You are doing or could be doing in the future to, to kind of counteract that, or think about it from a different point of view, because there is that there is a double-edged sword to neighborhood change, yeah. Yeah. particularly when it comes to displacement. That um, artists, I think, are helping revitalize communities, but if they're displacing original tenants in the process mm-hmm. of revitalizing a community, then that's where. The double-edged sword happens so I don't think we want communities to stagnate and artists can do a lot to contribute to the culture of a community but not at the cost of the original community members there so how do you think of yourselves with the meanwhile model that you have do you think you are hastening or contributing to the value of the neighborhoods Um, and if so what do you think you might do in the future to to counteract that like if if no. funding wasn't an issue and if if human resources once isn't an issue what do you, do you think you might be able to do or mm. try to address that
2: I mean I, I think one interesting thing with what we're doing with the kin is that often you know like in a space at like King's Badana, we're in areas that uh, you know are, are already heavily gentrified so it's an interesting because it kind of that's if you look at the timeline the typical timeline then and lay it out it's like oh actually this is already incredibly gentrified, and so we're doing a holiday market, say, uh, uh, um, you know, in a downtown location. Actually, business people are coming in and buying stuff and supporting those artists, mm-hmm. and it's an interesting kind of like, uh, kind of makes it much less linear and sort of obvious. But something we actively speak about, though, is you know, not all of our locations are in these. Once they are in ones, yes. that are, yeah, and so whereas I think we try and do as much as we can to um, listen you know listen when we move in somewhere and provide an opportunity to, for that, for a discussion about it ideally trying to involve also like at the developer level where they have far more money than we do to be proactive about things yeah. involving them in community um, like community workshops things like that
1: yeah in- engaging with the local community is, is something that we we don't feel that we've done enough of but it's something that we're trying to, to actively spend more time and, and resources on um our Saint Clair Studios, which which are in an old butcher shop, uh, at Saint Clair and Kiel. This is just one example, but we, we had a mural a mural uh, painting project on the side of the building um, that uh, for which we, we brought in members of the community and we had um, graffiti workshops of learning how to do that and so sort of having having the the geographic local community really like, play a role in it and defining what it would what it would actually be and, and having multiple events just to sort of engage with those people so that there's there's sort of an ongoing community communication or conversation between a kin and the people living there um,
2: I think I'm sorry no go ahead. I mean I think and th- those things are great and we're very proud of them but we also recognize that ultimately it, it, we need to take like everything that we're, we've discussed so far it, it you know, it wouldn't be such a struggle if it wasn't a policy, like that's what we're really trying to advocate for, right, is like, you know, changing the rules around all of these things at a much higher level so that, you know, it's not that we're, you know, just doing programming and and community activation at the end of a building's lifeline before a condo goes in there, but it's much more planning around how do we preserve what's already there, you know, and, and incorporating it into the plans and protecting it and, Yeah, we spoke to um, the standing committee on um, Canadian heritage, basically about cultural hubs Mm -hmm. um, and sort of, and I think that's a huge part of what we're interested in now is just sort of um, going to Ottawa and trying to change things a little bit. It's tough. Again, timing wise, we can can only dedicate so much time to, to fighting that fight, but I think we want to because, yeah, that's the only way real change will happen and like, you know, and that you can protect artists for the next 50 years or the next 100 years is sort of changing the rules. And, you know, we've spoken about like looking to cities like London, where, you know, they are more proactive and and perhaps because now in a reactive way, they've been like, oh my God, look at what we've, look at what we've created, this monster. How do we sort of, you know, shift our course, but yeah. And avoid losing
1: a lot of what makes the city great. Yeah. I think Toronto has some people are you know at the city level are certainly have their eyes open to this but a lot of people need need to to be kind of educating themselves and and just sort of having a realization about what the what the long-term future of of the city can look like uh in in both instances if there is very substantial support for arts and culture in the city, and the the yeah. case where there is where things are just sort of left kind of as as they are. And there certainly have been some policy changes in in the past couple of years. Uh, one being a creative colocation property tax subclass, which mm-hmm. is a step in the right direction. We we've been somewhat critical of elements of it, and and. Anticipate some changes over the next couple of years that will refine it a little bit and make it much more relevant for mm-hmm. um, more like grassroots organizations mm-hmm. that are in so many cases doing like the really interesting, cool work in, in terms of arts and culture. Yeah, um, so for us to continue doing that, but as kind of going back to, to our specific relationship with gentrification, it's it, it is complicated for us. It's nuanced. We we recognize that we we are even in, in instances where we're just taking over a building that would otherwise have been empty, um, and and is slated to become a, a condo, nevertheless, whether whether we're there or not. We still recognize that um, having you know fifty artists in a in a neighborhood can over time increase the, the property values and can increase the likelihood that, that people will have a harder time staying put there. That's that's something that for us, I mean, we've talked about doing advocacy work and, and whatnot, but um, it's, yeah, it's still, we don't feel completely content with our situation as it relates specifically to this. And, and it's something that over time we need to continue trying to figure out it's great to create opportunities for for artists and we obviously recognize the like massive value to a city to have rich and vibrant arts and culture um you know production facilities and whatnot but uh yeah it's a it is it is um it does rip put other people at risk and so that's that's work that we need to continue doing just to just sort of understand that and so much of it is by Engaging with with people in the communities that we work in and and learning from
2: them. Yeah And ideally they can keep us around in the building once they you know, so they we can move in they tear it down But when they build it back up, we're back again and perhaps bringing in other people that previously were You know sort of removed from the area, but I think that's the next step that we're really kind of looking at is You know once you build something new and shiny like can we still can you keep us around, you know, and, and how do you do? that? What do you think the
0: case would be? To to convince developers to even consider that, what would you need? It's, I mean,
1: one thing for sure, it's got it's got to be marketable. It's got to look good on them. You know, they're, they're businesses, and they they are in most cases reporting to shareholders, and we recognize that. Like, there's there's got to be a financial yeah. reason for them to 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 do that. Um, I mean, we're we're currently doing, this is super preliminary stages for us, but we're, we're starting to do research and, and learn and have conversations about a potential future role for a kin, specifically on the residential housing side of things. That's great. This has come from conversations with our members who have said, okay, you know, I'm super happy with my affordable art studio, but in my home, I'm, I'm still paying you know very expensive rates and it's it's difficult and we see people move to Hamilton on a regular basis or Peterborough and we we love going to those two places but we would love to keep t- t- Torontonian artists in Toronto if they would yeah. like to be and so um, with with a future aspiration of, of akin being involved with providing affordable real really affordable um, artist housing um, we're we're yeah, we're we're super excited by that, though it may be, you know, it will be most likely years away. Um, yeah. It's it's still something that yeah. uh, would would further it would it would help us combat the sort of gentrification contributions that like negative gentrification mm-hmm. contributions that it can does inevitably have through the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it would I think it would be a, a, an an amazing addition to what we.
2: What we currently do, yeah, I think it's just sort of the natural extension of it. I think, um, yeah, I mean, just to Oliver's point, it's it's the there's the marketing angle, but I think um, I think the idea of like, oh well, you know, they'll just want to keep us in the building to make it like sexy and cool and and whatever. I think that that's like. I mean, sure, maybe, but reality is they want a giant tax break is what they would like, you know, and so yes, it might be quirky and cool to have artists working on the ground floor of your condo, but if you can say to them, the city will give you a massive, you know, it comes down to dollars and cents for them, whether it is, you know, the marketing angle, but I think much more, it's just like changing the rules around it so that there's a, a huge financial incentive for them to keep us around. And that's where people at the city can can help yeah. facilitate that, um, that conversation. Yeah, you just need, and ultimately you need like, strong leadership in that regard, because uh, I think there are people that get it at City Hall, but they can only do so much, you know?
0: So, in your community, what do you, because you've expressed a sense of urgency about this issue, um, Are is your community expressing urgency to you as well? Is there pressure on you to try to respond, but can't put it all on your shoulders. Do you have thoughts about what other artists and other vulnerable communities that we're connected to, because artists are usually connected to all kinds of diverse communities that are equally uh, precarious, Um, do you have thoughts or recommendations on what other communities and other artists could do to respond to this issue? With I think I have we haven't had time to talk about the relationship between artist housing and artist workspaces, but if you have thoughts about that from what you're hearing amongst your mm-hmm.
1: members, I mean a, a little bit more uh, a little bit more broadly, but to, to respond to what you're saying, um, I mean a couple of ways that people can equip themselves to, to best handle the, this crisis, knowing your rights as a as a tenant. As a residential tenant mm-hmm. is super important um, there are many instances where where people are taking advantage of and it's just because they're not um, they're not aware and yes it takes time and it's it's challenging to go through the entire landlord-tenant act and that's not necessarily what we're saying but there are there are valuable online resources just through the landlord tenant board or otherwise that, yep. that people should be tenants associations up. absolutely um, and so at a very sort of basic level people need to 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 get up on that on that information to read up um and then speaking sort of to the commercial side of things um because often artists are whether, whether it's um well often artists are, are renting space through a kin but if they're renting their own spaces um and we've learned this from experience commercial commercial leasing is it's a challenging, challenging game, and it's just a wild west. The the work, goes, yeah, yeah, relationships.
0: and fighting for a chance.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean the single most important thing that we've learned through commercial leasing is that the the rules of the relationship between the tenant, the landlord, and the space are one hundred percent entirely governed by what is written on that piece of paper. Aside from breaking laws and doing illegal things that are outside of you know the, the sort of constraints of, of leasing um everything is is on that paper so if it if if you're making an assumption and it's not actually written down then your assumption is sort of irrelevant um and, and, it's, and sorry to jump
2: in i was just and it's all variable too I right? like i think mm-hmm. it's so easy to get a lease and sort of just be told okay this is the document to sign it but you can uh, ch- change that document or argue for it to, to be sort of sh- yeah, shifted around negotiation yeah in I think it's so easy the power dynamics of that is so much like here's a piece of paper you're going to sign this because you want this and it's take like it or leave it. take it or leave it and I think especially if you feel like oh gosh I don't really understand how this works it's like there are resources out there to you know it's very easy if we recognize to say oh just get a lawyer lawyers are expensive but there are services like pro bono Ontario uh, alas, are just legal advice services yeah. in addition to all of the tenant ones that we yeah. sort of are out there. But um, yeah, I think it can be very easy to just be given a document and you feel like you have to sign it and they can, you can push back a little bit.
1: Yeah, super, I think that's super important. And I mean, this is even a more sort of uh, basic level advice as to how people can be involved is by voting.
0: Yes. yeah yeah. Uh, yeah I think we are <laughs> not active enough in our in our politi- politics yeah yeah
2: and I think people just feel powerless they think often you know what's the point it doesn't really matter anyways and I think that's a huge thing that we're really trying to advocate for is just like um, yeah it sounds cheesy to say like giving the power back to artists but it really is and making them realize that the power that they have in that sort of in these the dynamics around space and, and policy and stuff Um, yeah, yeah um
1: and and kind of getting a little bit more specific to to what you mentioned um i think a great way for for artists to be able to play a beneficial role uh in changing communities is is by engaging with community groups who are there on the ground who are who are doing work um who are doing like a lot of the the valuable research that ground story has done for instance but um yeah just being being there to engage and learn uh, and have your have your voice sort of be part of that conversation is so important. Yeah, I think Excellent. having this sort of
2: passive, passive sort of uh, participation in it and saying, oh, this sucks, the idea of the big bad developer and these sort of myths, right? Like, there's so many myths around being an artist and there's so many myths around development and sort of the only way that we can change the idea of like the poor, struggling artist, which is just such a negative, unhealthy sort of, Um, stereotype is by sort of trying to be proactive around around the perception of the artist and also like supporting the artist itself themselves Um, yeah
0: one final question are there gaps in knowledge and data and evidence or just an understanding of the issue in the community that needs to be filled in order for you to to Respond to what you're trying to serve in your mandate in the community. To respond to lack of affordable spaces, lack of accessible spaces, just lack of spaces. Like thinking about the future, um, what do you need to be able to to respond in the way you're trying to?
2: I mean, I, I think we have we ourselves have a ton of learning to do. You know, it's funny how you know educating myself on policy and. And legalese and things like that is very important, but also like reading uh, Jane Jacobs or Ken Greenberg and sort of in these much broader philosophical sort of ways, because I think that's also very important. Um, So I think for us, it's very easy for us to kind of speak here as if we know we're figuring out a lot as we go too, and like we're trying to, you know, in a very sort of regimented way, spend a bit more time in our week, like reading and then sort of thinking about these things because I think it's yeah nobody has it entirely figured out and the nature of a kin has been I think its success has been sort of rolling with the punches and and sort of yeah and also like the idea that sort of you can't get what you don't ask for so encouraging people to ask for a meeting with somebody or ask about better terms in their lease
1: Any um, uh, thoughts we, we touched on it a little bit but looking outside of Toronto, looking outside of Canada, I think is, is super important. And, and that goes for individuals, organizations, and, and uh, government staff as well. To, to We mentioned London, um, but also New York. Looking at cities that have, have sort of gone through their own version of, of what Toronto is, is going through. At this stage, and those are those are much larger, more established cities, but also uh, have have been uh, have been uh, it's come to, they've come to be known as as cities with great vibrant arts and culture um, yeah. sectors. But you know how have they how have they managed to, to preserve that? We've talked about the model thing, which mm-hmm. is which is happening in, in London. Um, but yeah, looking outside of our little bubble to kind of figure out, well, okay, who, who might actually have had a bit of experience with this? What do they, how do they deal with it and what can be applied in an appropriate way in Toronto? Um,
2: I think, uh, yeah, and it's funny, like looking big picture outside of Toronto, but then also looking in your immediate surroundings, looking at the history and learning it as well about, you know, if you don't know what's happened before, you're doomed to repeat it. So the idea of affordable housing for artists in Toronto isn't a new one what works or doesn't work with what's already there? And how can you sort of sift through that wealth of knowledge uh, to find like where the gems are and where the like big mistakes are, you know? Um. Um, this, this doesn't
1: necessarily constitute a knowledge gap, but um, I mean, there certainly is a, a negative stigma towards property owners from the perspective of, of people working in the arts. And um, I mean, we we get that sense very. It's quite thorough, I would say. And um, for us, we've we're kind of in that middle ground of of working between those two groups. I mean, we obviously associate ourselves with artists because we are artists, but we. I think that people can be blinded with with that perspective. They can be blinded from opportunities that might exist to actually create something good together because not all property owners are, are bad people yes there are many who are <laughs> there's no way around that and many do not care about culture it's it's money it's a money game but uh there are developers who, who do actually whether it's because they truly truly care or they understand that it's actually a good business decision to support culture to support community um and so those opportunities do exist and and we're only engaging in some of those opportunities there are many many more that that are that are around us just in Toronto but also more broadly speaking Um, and so I think if if that stigma is like very strongly in people's minds they might not even be willing to have a conversation with a property owner and and that can be a a, a loss for for artists.
2: I mean the beautiful thing with arts and culture is it impacts everyone's life so I think even if you take you know what you imagine a property owner or developer to look like some sort of douchebag in a suit you know uh, and and but sort of realising that that person perhaps loved to paint and then gave up on that and got into property or has a mum that loves collage or it was just also like I think to Oliver's point just sort of humanising it I can it. relate to, to yeah insult. the same way like, sort of again the, the myth of the artist is, is you know unfair and the myth of the property owner it's like you need to kind of meet in the, the middle a bit and be just more open for discussion I think also um, I mean, with akin, we try to be very transparent about ourselves as an organization and the work that we're doing, and I think also we're trying to put out more of that information. So maybe there's a link on our website that advises people if you're going to be signing a commercial lease, here are like the top ten things that that you need to look out for, um, mm-hmm. which are you know ten things that we've learned by making ten mistakes, you know, and sort of sharing sharing that. But I do think We'd like to act as more of a, of, yeah. a resource. But I think if you're not even willing to come to the table with uh, somebody and uh, have that discussion, then Paul, you, you don't have much of a chance.
0: Can we do the 10 things? Let's let's try. Let's, let's try. try. Yeah. So as listeners uh, and viewers, uh, like, no. what would you recommend we each do or mm. could do to help a kin in the next six months? Mm. Um, I would like to help you to write the 10 things and publish yeah. and share to the community. But is there something that Someone in the community could do to help. What do you guys need for yeah. help? In six. Thanks months. for asking yeah. that.
1: I mean, it's so much for us. It, it's it's about finding space. I mean, mm-hmm. it really comes down to like the very core of what we're doing.
0: So and, should we write you whenever we see a space that looks interesting? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And and uh, for better or worse, we're always up for going yeah. to see what's up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean that, mm-hmm. that's that's something that's hugely helpful for us. There okay. are some mm-hmm. property owners who are aware of us, but. Um, but for us to sort of broaden the, 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 the landowners who we interact with is, is hugely beneficial because it means maybe the building that they have at the moment isn't a great fit, but even if it's years down the road, can still be really beneficial to us, you know, serving the people who we do serve.
0: Mm-hmm. So maybe someone that is a good writer or an advocate could help you write a one-pager that summarizes your case for support to developers, just to spread the word and share yeah. that out. Yeah. We mm-hmm. put that on social media. Yeah. One other thing that, that we could do guys. to help you? For what sure. might that be?
2: Um, I mean, my first thought was just, like, engage with what we're up to. So like, come on out to an event, come to a workshop, come, you know visit one of our spaces we're always like it's very much an open door like we we're always welcoming people in to come and see our space to engage with it to tour it, even if it you don't necessarily know if you need to space but like kind of come and see what we're up to um and i mean the, the best way
1: that akin has found to sort of grow this is sort of on the programming and on the the sort of um studio rental side of things the best ways for us to to grow and keep doing what we're doing by partnering so mm-hmm. we we take any opportunity that we can to just sit down for for a coffee or, or sit down for a beer with someone just to hear about what they're up to and and figure out if there might be ways to you know work together brainstorm and sort of put, put ideas down on the table so yeah as as you said like we're we're always up for having those chats. all do right
0: thank you michael and oliver let's do it one mm-hmm. and all sounds all right. good thank you so much thank you thank you